Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. So we'll often hear news stories and we'll say out loud, who's going to write the movie about that? Yep. Who's going to direct the movie about that? Uh, and this time, with a story right here out of Kansas City, we have our answer. <laughs> yes, we do. Adam Best is online with us. The man behind arrowheadaddict.com. And Adam, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, guys. It's great to talk to you. And I want to start by having you explain a little bit of your history with the Kansas City Chiefs and, and how you became, I mean, this incredible Twitter feed, a great website, uh, obviously a fan, but give us a little bit more than that. Tell us about how long you've been following this team. My entire life. I was born, yesterday was my birthday, actually. Happy I was birthday. born in Kansas City. Thank you. And my father was telling me a story about how a week before I was born, he and my mother in 1978 were at a frigid Buffalo Bills game. Uh, they had to leave because it got so cold. But that, that's how deep my roots go. And uh, started Arrowhead Attic back in 2007 with my brother. So this has been a lifelong obsession. It's how the men in my family bond. So it, it, it's like the number one thing in our lives other than our family itself. So before we get to... Uh, what you're working on here. Do you have a writing background, a storytelling background that would lead you here? Yeah, yeah, I, I do. I actually went to film school and after that studied playwriting at Mizzou was a scholarship playwright there. And then I fell into this whole Arrowhead Attic thing, which became a larger company called Fansided, which was a network of, of websites telling the story from, from the fans side of, of the equation. So uh, I've always been kind of lingering around media and always thought I would get back to film and screenwriting. That's what I originally wanted to do. And when COVID hit, I just kind of threw myself into it because I found myself with a lot of time and, uh, Six scripts or so later, here we are. At <laughs> a boy, yeah, no kidding. So when this started to break, I mean, I want to go back about a year before this particular story started to break because we, at that point, were talking about how weird it must be to be a quote-unquote Chiefs super fan and have an identity because of these two guys who got into a fight after a game who were both Chiefs quote-unquote super fans. Uh, X-Factor was one of them, and I don't even remember who the other guy was. And then we thought, okay, is this the worst that fandom gets? And then we found out, oh, no, <laughs> no, no, no. So <laughs> when you first started to hear about the whole Chiefsaholic thing, what was going through your head, and were you already on that, oh, this is a story I'm going to have to tell? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I paid attention to that X factor and Red Extreme thing. Yes, I've never right. been one to to tell people how to express their fan their fandom, but it was kind of a head scratcher to me. And when this happened, I'd already been thinking about eventually writing a screenplay about the Chiefs because it's arguably what I know best in the world, but I just hadn't found the story yet. And when this happened, I thought, well, at least this can be the basis of a great story because it's so bizarre that nobody could make this up. Okay, so where did you start when you decided to, to get to work here? The first thing I did was I tried to find information to see if I was either going to tell this religiously by the book or make it very loosely inspired. And there just wasn't a lot out there. And I kind of thought there would be dozens of people trying to tell the straight story. We have lots of great, great bank robbing movies already from heat to dog day afternoon, hell or high water, the list goes on. So I wanted to kind of probe for deeper meaning, put my own stamp on it and do something original. So I just decided we're going to make this very loosely based. The only things that are going to be by the book as far as the Chiefsaholic side are going to be super fan dresses up like a wolf, Rob's Banks, that's it. <laughs> and then I wanted to kind of capture the experience, the craziness of Chiefs Kingdom, what it means to, to suffer and then have that kind of lifelong experience that you waited for winning the Super Bowl. So I moved the story to 2020, the, the Super Bowl 54 is where it concludes. And, and it all just kind of clicked into place when I decided to uh, do it that way. Well, that's, it's really interesting because when you decide, when you make that decision, it's got to be a very freeing thing that you're not going to do another in cold blood. You know, you, you're not going to have to interview everybody involved and, and sit there and, and pour over it and agonize over something for years before it's ready to go. So um, when, when that part of the story, when you said, okay, I can fictionalize this and make this my product, my own story that I'm just going to have some fun with, what what were the directions that you were playing with? And I, I, don't, I don't want you to give away what we're going to see, obviously, but what kinds of things started to occur to you um, of, of where we could take this story and where we could take that sort of insane fandom? Yeah, well, the hardest thing to express on the page was we have, uh, pun intended, a lone wolf bank robber. <laughs> and I thought it was going to be kind of boring to just show him kind of plotting that out and doing that act by himself. And I also thought what a kind of normal person, uh, you know, makes the leap from upstanding citizen to, to bank robber. They, they got to have a push. So I created this anthropomorphic imaginary friend named Wolfie, who kind of, when he has sort of a, a mental breakdown manifest and helps him become the person he needs to be to rob these banks. Did you talk to him? Have you interviewed him? I have not interviewed him, but I interviewed multiple bank robbers, including uh, Joe Loya, the Beirut ba uh, bandit from uh, the 80s out in Los Angeles. He robbed something like 34 banks. So I did a lot of research on, on bank robbing, but once I decided not to make it about the actual super fan in the true story, I really wanted to kind of make it a departure from his story and just focus on what would 
what would say the most? What would be the most experience, uh, exhilarating experience? Yeah. Oh, no doubt. And, you know, I was, I'm thinking now about movies. You mentioned a couple of great ones like Dog Day Afternoon. There was a movie that came out about uh, seven, eight years ago called 30 Minutes or Less, which was based on the pizza delivery neck bomber guy. Um, and and they, they did this uh, similar thing. They, they took that germ of a story and then went way the other direction with it and, and kind of made something up. So have, have you found that kind of inspiration in other storytelling uh, or are you trying not to do that and say, you know what, again, I've got to stay away from that and I'm just going to work on my own story here and tell it the way I want to tell it. Yeah, I, I know this has been done plenty of times, but when I kind of made this decision, I kind of shut myself off from all that kind of content yeah. okay. just because I, I've grown up a lifelong fan of, of crime stories and these kind of, of movies and books. I just felt like I need to do my research, but as far as, the fictionalizing of, of the story, I, I have enough background to, to know where to go with this. How hard is it to write a screenplay? Most of us, when we think about writing, everybody says, oh, I'm going to write a novel or a short story. How different is it to write a screenplay? It's very hard because it's an art of brevity. You have 120 pages max. Really, if you're an undiscovered writer, it's probably more like 110 and there's a lot of white space, uh, uh, space on that page. So you're trying to do two things too. It's a blueprint for a movie. It has to be that, but it has to be entertaining in its own right as a literary document or else no one's going to read it and pass it around and want to make this thing if they can't visualize the movie in their head. So you kind of have to hit on multiple fronts and it just takes years. You know, there's that old, I think it's Malcolm Gladwell thing where he says it takes 10,000 hours to be great at anything. And I think learning this structure, uh, because there are beats that audience members subconsciously expect. So it takes a long time. Adam Best is here with us. And again, uh, arrowheadaddict.com, one of the many websites that he's associated with. So let's talk a little bit about next steps in the process. What happens now to get this movie made? Yeah, well, it's been a, kind of a wild ride so far. I just finished this rough draft on September 30th. Uh, my writer's group wow. loved it, ha happened to get it to a manager. The, she was the first person outside my writer's group that read it. She signed me basically on the spot. It kind of proliferated out throughout town. And it actually made this thing called the Hollywood Blacklist, which is the annual uh, list of Hollywood's most liked unproduced works. Uh, according to industry executives. So that was a, that was a big kind of turbo boost for us. Uh, and, and again, it was only like a 12 week process, but we have, we have uh, multiple producers kind of raising their hand, very interested in making it. We have a big, uh, big platform interesting in distributing. The holidays have kind of slowed things down, but right now we're looking for a director and a lead and I'm feeling optimistic about this thing happening. How much did it help you in that process that the Chiefs have done as well as they have, that the story got national coverage? I mean, there were, there were just so many, him cutting off the ankle monitor. I mean, there were just so many parts to this that got national attention. Yeah, absolutely. And, and a lot of this business and any business really is timing, is good fortune. And so every night when I get down to pray, I say a prayer to uh, Taylor Swift for uh, 
taking a little uh, diesel on this Chiefsaholic <laughs> fire because I, I, I no doubt think that her and Kelsey being very much in the limelight right now uh, only helped this, this story. And I, I don't know if I said this, but Travis Kelsey is actually the one chief who's a character in this script. Oh, we buried the lead there. Wow. Yeah, no kidding. Now, mm-hmm. I, I, now if you can get him to play him, I would imagine that's going to be the biggest home run ever. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, on that front, I can't imagine the uh, anybody else playing that role other than him. Maybe Chris Hemsworth or someone. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, he's, he's a very tough person to cast because of of his charisma. But my thinking was, here is someone who, who seems to relish the spotlight obviously is interested in acting. I know he has an agent now and did Saturday Night Live. And much like Kevin Garnett in Uncut Gems, I think he would be fantastic playing himself. I don't, I wouldn't argue with you one bit. And there's just one other thing I would love to know, Adam, going back to what you said about interviewing other bank robbers and and things like that to kind of be able to put this script together and doing that research about what would make sense if you were a bank robber and what wouldn't. Was there anything out of those conversations that surprised you? Like, what did you learn about bank robbers or about that business, if we can call it a business, that you didn't know going in? Yeah, I think a lot of it is about just willing to be menacing. And you kind of think of it as a victimless crime because the way it's been portrayed over the years, especially after what's happened in our country, there's not a lot of overall fondness for banks, especially big ones, but they have to stick their guns in someone's face. And it's usually tellers and it's usually women tellers. And there's a lot of PTSD and, and really just a ton of emotional problems that come on the other end of, of being on the other side of the gun. So I kind of found out that they're actually down the road, there's a lot of remorse because even though we romanticize the crime, it is not a victimless one. Yeah, now you've got me thinking about Travis Bickle standing in front of the mirror in Taxi Driver. Are you talking to me? I mean, that whole deal. You're right. You you have to play that role. That's wild. I can't wait. I know this is going to get made, Adam, and I can't wait to see it. I think it's going to be a fascinating ride for you, and we would love to keep track of you as this process continues. Absolutely. It's been a privilege to be on, and uh, I will keep you guys posted. All right, good deal, and we'll see you, so see you online at arrowheadaddict.com. Thank you so much for being with us. I, I'm serious about this. I can't wait to see this movie. I think it's going to be wonderful. Yeah, and good timing. You know, I mean, it's it's you always want something like that to have wide appeal, and this certainly certainly will. Big so time. look forward to it. All right, we'll take a break. Uh, coming up, we'll switch gears here a little bit uh, to the story that we had about the carbon monoxide poisoning happening in the Northeast community and some of the responsibilities there in trying to address that. We'll get to that coming up here on KMBZ. 913-586-7798. Dana Park's coming up here at two o'clock. So there was a major carbon monoxide leak over the weekend. Story came to us uh, out of Channel 5. This was Saturday in a home near Fuller Avenue and 10th Street. Uh, This was major. Guys in critical condition at last check. Three others were killed. Um, and they traced it back to, this was a generator uh, that was left on, right? That, yeah, that was being yeah. used, a generator that was being used inside led to the carbon monoxide. Never, never, never. I mean, it, it, any internal combustion engine cannot be used indoors. You will die. And, I mean, it's it's hard enough, and we've had so many uh 
carbon monoxide deaths over time because of space heaters, because of home heaters where the chimney gets clogged for whatever reason. And I mean, that's that's bad enough that we have to have that to be able to heat the house. But if you're running a generator inside, just don't. I mean, you can't do that. Um, And it's also a reminder that we say this at this time of year every single year. Go through and check the batteries on the detectors. Make sure that they are working. Make sure you test them out. Make sure that they're loud enough and that you have them in all of the places where you're supposed to, that you have one in the kitchen, that you have one in the basement, the, uh, if you have a basement, that you have one uh, in the hallway near all of the, the bedrooms or even in the bedrooms. Just do what you have to do to make sure that this doesn't happen to you. It's, I mean, they call it the silent killer for a reason. Um, you, it, it doesn't, there's no smell. There's no, it, it, it's, you know, colorless, odorless gas that you, there's no way for you to know other than you start feeling sick and you start feeling logy. But if you're asleep when it happens, then there's, there's no, there's no chance. So part of the concern here with this particular situation is that, uh, Casey Fire says the neighborhood where this happened is largely Spanish speaking, mm-hmm. and they've got a language barrier there in trying to communicate to the neighborhood about the dangers of carbon monoxide. And it's one of those things that you think you don't have to tell people. I don't know when in life I learned that. I mean, I, I hate to go dark about it, but one of the first things you learn about is a car running. That's what we usually think it is. Sure. It's carbon monoxide from a car that's left running in a garage or something. You forget that there are other ways that you can be exposed to it. I don't know when in life I learned that, that some people didn't, but now they're really proactively, fire department is, proactively trying to reach out to that community with pamphlets and talking to them and saying, okay, who else has got generators like this? Leave them outside. Yes. And and again, the, the kerosene space heaters and other kinds of space heaters, I mean, if it's not electric, and even the electric space heaters can cause fires, but uh, if it's not an electric space heater, those things ideally should never be used inside. 913-586-7798, I say, as I have a space heater running two feet what, from yours, me right now. It's but an it's electric, an electric one, one yeah. not a, yeah. Right, so yeah, yeah you're fine. Uh, just make sure it doesn't catch the carpet on fire. Mike, <laughs> in, to- Mike in Topeka <laughs> wants to say a word or two about this. Hey, Mike. Hey, guys. Um, I just wanted to jump in real quick because you, you had mentioned about getting um, detectors. Yes. Um, I wanted to specify CO2 detectors, not just fire alarm, uh, or smoke detectors. Um, and make sure the one that you have can detect both. Um, because CO. not all of them. Uh, not, yeah. not, not to jump to CO, not CO2. CO2 is d- right, right, d- right. different animal. Carbon monoxide. Yes. yes. Um, and also a lot of them will, um, like the ones we have in our house, our carbon monoxide detectors are specifically designed to be down low. Um, there are some that are designed to be up high or down low. So make sure your placement is proper as well. Great advice. Um, and, yep. and yeah, be, being a heavier than air gas, you're right. It's a little different because smoke detectors, the, the ones that do double duty, I'm curious about how they do that because smoke detectors generally are, are looking one, for something high up. The ones that are double duty are more designed for houses with proper ventilation, like newer homes. Uh-huh. All of the vents have a return air in that room, and the return air is usually up high so that it can pull air from the floor up high and so the, the smoke detectors can serve dual purpose. Right. So if you live in an older home or your your return air vents are down low, you want to make sure you get those carbon monoxide detectors that plug into a regular outlet so they're down close to the floor so they can properly detect it. Perfect. Great advice, Mike. So, Thank you. Thanks, guys. Bye. Yep. Thanks, Mike. Dumb question. Are carbon monoxide detectors something that you have to replace the batteries in? 
like your smoke detector, or do you replace the whole device? No, you you can replace batteries in them, Um, especially the ones like Mike was talking about that do both, that are a smoke detector and a CO detector. Then uh, a lot of times those are battery powered. There are some, like he just mentioned, that do plug into the wall. And then that way you don't have to worry about batteries ever. But uh, he, what he said about noticing where your air returns are, whether yours are up high or down low, will make the difference as to which one you should probably get. If if you're worried about it, and you should be, uh, I mean, not overly, but yeah, I mean, you should at least be concerned about it, then have somebody install them for you. I mean, you can find home contractors out there that will be able to advise you if you really don't know what you're doing. Yeah. And, you're, and you're not comfortable with it, find somebody. Uh, you know, just look through, look online and see if you can find a, a reputable home contractor that will be able to help you out with that. Text lines coming in, phone calls as well. We'll take a break. We'll get to more of your comments on this one next on KMBZ. Hey, Mel, Bri here. Got to work from home today because the whole family caught a nasty. Daddy. Hey, Mikey, if you're going to puke, find the popcorn bowl. But my availability is 110%. Coincidentally, so is my fever. <laughs> Kidding. Mel, I'm so cold but hot. Uh, but I'm going to get you that budget. Just as soon as... Right. Mikey! Popcorn bowl! Press 1 to use Instacart and get your family's sick day essentials delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. Press 2 to keep working. Do not press 2. Just use Instacart. Brian. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. So we're talking about this horrible case out of the Northeast where you had uh, one person was in critical condition. Three people died because there was a generator that was being used indoors. Carbon monoxide poisoning was the problem. Yeah, and I'm going to go back on something I just said a minute ago because I was flat wrong. Uh, Thank you to the texter who pointed out, I said uh, CO is heavier than air. That's actually not true. Uh, I had always been told that it was, and apparently that's a popular myth. But uh, carbon monoxide is slightly lighter than air, but it doesn't tend to layer in a room. So it's not like you have to worry about it up toward the ceiling, being as it's slightly lighter than air. What it tends to do is diffuse throughout the room. So at that point, I mean, you would want a, a CO detector to be about halfway up the wall at about chest level or head level. So, uh, yeah, given that, thank you for the correction on the text line. Um, and that's why, again, if you're if you're at all confused about this, have a professional install yours for you. They're the ones that are going to know better. Let's go to Mark and Miriam up next. Hello, Mark. Hey, just wanted to remind everybody that uh, carbon monoxide detectors, unlike smoke detectors, have an expiration date. That's also, but, uh, yes, if, that's true. If, if you're checking the batteries, check the expiration date on your detector itself. 
Good point. Thank you, Mark. Okay. Uh, yeah, they they tend to last for a period of years. Uh, text line seems to think about ten years is is the outside, but that's they all have a manual in them too. <laughs> I hate to rely on RTFM, but read the manual. Uh, it'll let you know what you know how long it's supposed to be good for. And you know now what I'm curious about in text line, if you can help us out on this as well, that would be great. Is will the detector itself tell you when it's no good anymore? Um, doesn't your smoke detector have an annoying beep when it's starting to go, the battery's starting to go? Yeah. But if, uh, so smoke detector works with, uh, a small amount of radiation that, you know, when, when that, when that radiation is interrupted, that's when it knows that there's way too much particulate matter in the air with CO. I'm not sure how the detector works, but it may have some kind of medium in it that just wears out after a while. My other question about that, and this is with me having zero knowledge of how carbon monoxide detectors work. Um, if I am not running my ceiling fan, when I use my oven, my smoke detector will go off. And it, it, it like, I, I, so I just run my ceiling fan all the time, which also means your smoke detector won't go off when it's supposed to, because your ceiling fan is protecting it and keeping that air moving. Yep. Does it do, does your ceiling fan prevent your carbon monoxide detector from going off? Like it does your smoke detector. It shouldn't because, okay. I mean, if, that, if you're using a ceiling fan, then it would disperse even farther through the room. You, you'd have more of a chance of it getting to the detector. Uh, according to Assurance Electrical Services, the reason why they expire is because high concentrations of carbon monoxide affects its sensitivity. So over time, th- th- I mean, there's going to be a little bit of, uh-huh. of CO in the air. And over time, it just overwhelms the sensitivity of the sensor. So they also recommend about every five to ten years to go ahead and replace them. Are they expensive? No. I look it up here. I, uh, in fact, I think the last time I looked, the dual-purpose smoke detector slash CO detector was about sixty bucks. Okay, that's not too bad. Um, it's it's just an awful story. Again, Casey Fire is going out just really proactively in that community, making sure in case they didn't know already. Have the detectors, don't use the generators indoors. And uh, we did have a texter who just texted in and said that their CO detector will let you know when its life is over. I don't know that they all do, though, but that's another selling point if you're the kind of person who will forget (laughs) and doesn't, you know, I mean, 10 years is a long time. Then then make sure you spend the extra money to get the one that tells you when it's dead. 20 bucks. You can get them. Yeah, for just a CO? Yep. 20 bucks. Yep. Good deal. All right. uh, Jason and Lee Summit is up next with us. Hello, Jason. Yeah, how are you doing? Hey, great. Now, if, um, if if a person is getting a house for uh first time, buying a new house or replacing a heating system or anything like that, if they want to just avoid the issue of carbon monoxide altogether, you could do what I did in my house. It's all electric. And then you won't have to worry about that problem at all. So electric heat, electric stove, electric everything. Electric everything, yeah. Okay. And, well, and, I, and I actually love... I have electric baseboard heat, and the thing that I love so much about it is you can, you know, you can take a guest room, turn it down to 50 degrees, the parts of the houses, the house that you're in more frequently, you can turn it up warmer, and there's also, you know, there's no maintenance cost. I mean, I have had my house for 30 years now, and the maintenance cost on that heating system has been zero dollars. Good deal. It sounds like you made a good investment. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Jason. Thanks. Appreciate it. Someone says it gives you three beeps to let you know it's expired. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, yeah, so just check and make sure uh, that yours is, 
at this time of year, just kind of as it gets cold, just check and make sure. Yeah. And and as we said at the very beginning of this, and it bears repeating, never, never, never run an engine inside. Never. Yes. Under any circumstances. Somebody just asked us, in case you missed the news earlier, uh, if we had talked about the Jackson County appraisal news yet. We've talked about it a couple of times, oh, but yeah. we just briefly touched on the lawsuit. And now that we've got a little more time, we can get into this a little bit more. A uh, couple things have happened today, uh, if you missed the latest. Uh, we talked earlier about the report from the auditor uh, for the state of Missouri that county broke laws in coming up with those assessments. And then what happened this afternoon was the attorney general, uh, Andrew Bailey, has joined the state tax commission in their lawsuit, and it's a county lawsuit against, and I've got all 39 pages in front of me, against Jackson County, uh, the county legislature, Frank White, and the director of assessment, uh, Gail McGann Beatty, uh, and the Jackson County Board of Equalization and Tyler Technologies, which did, uh, which did the assessments. I just want to read to you really quickly the first two sentences of <laughs> this a lot in lawsuit. There. Yeah, it's a lot. They they jam a lot into these first two sentences. Let me just tell you, they are not messing around with this. This is this is serious. This is how it starts. Jackson County's 2023 assessments were not only unlawful, but the failures were systemic. From failing to provide proper notice and inspections under the law to coercing property owners to drop their appeals. Repeatedly, Jackson County violated the rights of property owners, adding insult to injury at a time in which inflation is already a scourge upon Missouri citizens. Oh. Ooh, coercing property That's, owners to drop their appeals. That is the first I've heard about that. I, no, I, I will say that's the first I've heard about that officially. We've heard from we've heard from you <laughs> telling us, hey, you know, they keep putting me off and it, it sounds like they're trying to get me to drop this thing. But that's the first time I've heard that officially. Uh, and it comes in this lawsuit. If they've got proof of that, <laughs> there is no telling how many heads are going to roll because of this. Again, we kind of keep touching on it, but we've got a little more time here. 913-586-7798. Um, one of the things, because now I'm now I'm on that Jackson County Assessment Group Facebook page again. I, I left it for a while and I'm back on it. The suggestion was made that the Jackson County Legislature, which has had kind of a busy week already, mm -hmm. uh, needs to call an emergency session and, and and get their act together and respond to this and make some decisions about this. Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't know who has that. Frank White, somebody needs to get that group together and respond to this. I, I'm i just, I'm stunned. Well, I, okay. Are you? No, <laughs> no. I mean, give you, well, see, th then you ask the question, okay, why? Because on the surface of it, it looks even more like, okay, this was done on purpose. And it may not have been. There actually is a path where it makes sense for them to coerce people to try to drop their appeals that doesn't have anything to do with wanting to necessarily inflate the, the housing values and the assessments and the taxes that are drawn in because of all of that. And it works like this. And I'm not saying this is what happened. But if what you're worried about, if you go through and what we were talking about earlier, uh, where Gail McGann Beatty, Beatty was was going on TV and on the radio saying, we followed the law. We did what, what the Constitution of the state of Missouri demands that we do. We did these assessments properly. And then a month into that, you find out, oh, no, your office didn't do their due diligence. They did break the law before this audit comes out, before the report mm -hmm. from the auditor comes out. You find out that that's the case. 
the more these appeals stack up, the worse you look, the more incompetent you look. So trying to get people to drop their appeals may have been trying to obfuscate and make it look like you're not terribly incompetent. Um, there, there are a couple of explanations there that aren't quite as conspiratorial as, as they uh-huh. might seem. But then again, sometimes they are that bad. Um, it, it would just beg the question, why? Who would be benefiting from that? And, oh, I... I There's no mention, at least that we've seen so far in this lawsuit, of anybody outside government being involved in this. Thank you. Except for Tyler Technologies, except for the company that actually did the numbers crunching on this. They're the only ones and they wouldn't have a vested interest in how much tax gets paid in in Jackson County anyway. So um, if, if there is another shoe to drop in this, that could be very, very bad. Here's a line that would seem benign, but I think is going to have a lot of power as this moves forward. So they name the parties that are being sued, including Frank White. The county executive is responsible for administration of the affairs of Jackson County and has the power to correct errors in assessment and tax records. The part that's not written is and didn't yes exactly i was thinking the same thing those are the two words that are missing from that sentence but boy are they written on that page they're just not visible again i wonder we were tossing this around earlier a little bit and again there's a lot in here um it's it's they mention it's a lot about the physical assessments that were not made the the physical the assessor actually coming to your house and seeing so a lot of this being automated if you have thoughts on where this is going to go i feel like this is i don't know what's happening behind closed doors right now I don't know what judge in Jackson County is around over Christmas that can, but I feel like this is the kind of thing, I don't know who has the power to expedite this. Maybe it's Frank White, in which case we have a problem. Is it Gene Peters Baker? I mean, who, this is civil. I I don't know where this goes, Mm -hmm. but taxes are due December 31st. There needs to be, something needs to happen on this. Yeah. This week. Well, this and if you think about uh, we're we're now just barely 24 hours away from that state auditor's report coming out. And already we've seen this much movement. I get the feeling you said, you know, we, we don't know what's going on behind closed doors. I think if we're all really quiet, we might be able to hear it because <laughs> I I'm thinking there's a couple of raised voices right now in downtown Kansas City. Yeah, the um, if you have thoughts, 913-586-7798. I don't know how you fix it. I do not know. How do you just stop the assessment system for a while? Mm-hmm. It's going to take a little, it's, it's going to take a while to figure out where it went wrong and who did it. Again, they've already fired Tyler Technologies. Do we know who replaces Tyler Technologies next year? If you're asking me personally, no. Do, no, is, I haven't is heard Is the either. information out there? Possibly, but I haven't heard. Can we have that company come in? Can the state or can the attorney general's office appoint? Can the auditor's office appoint a company yeah. to come in and redo everything? How fast can they work? Right. Yeah, Obviously, they're, they're not going to be able to get, get it done by the end of the year. But could you have a, I mean, in January or February of next year, could you have it that fast so that the people who are charged unbelievable sums of money beyond what they actually should have owed can get that money back in time that that it would, it, nothing's going to make them whole, right? Uh, but 
in time that it would make sure that people aren't losing their houses over this. That's the real worry is that and it was expressed several times by our callers earlier in the show is that people are going to lose their houses because their their escrow account is going to be short, which means their house payment is going to go up potentially hundreds of dollars after the first of the year. Can you extend that date instead of it being December 31st, call it end of Q1 of next year and you bring in a company and you say, start with the biggest increases first. Yes. Get go to through. Yeah. Get to the biggest, the people that had their property taxes go up the most. Start there. The people have the most money on the table. Start there. And really uh, the, the biggest time, the biggest consumer of time, if you try to do something like that, is going to be out and uh, going out and doing actual physical assessments all over again. That's going to take I don't know. I, I mean, it depends on how many people you put on the job, but how many people are available to a company like yeah. that to be able to come in and put them out on the street in the middle of winter, by the way, and have them go through and do the physical assessments that should have been done a year ago. I got to tell you, if the stuff in this lawsuit is true, Tyler Technologies is in a lot of trouble. Yep. Just for basic things like not giving notice. I mean, there are laws that, that talk about how much notice you have to give. And there's a lot in here about the defendants, quote unquote, supposedly conducted exterior review, though they did not provide any prior notice. There's a lot of that basic stuff that's purely Tyler Technologies. Mm, Ooh. <laughs> yeah, they're in Texas and we might be able to hear them from here. <laughs> so it's going to get ugly. I mean, it's already ugly. And unfortunately, it's ugly for the taxpayers at the moment. But this is going to get ugly in government. It's going to get ugly at the corporate level. And, and in the meantime, so many people are hanging out there right now with, with their pockets out going, where am I supposed to come up with this money? Man, I, I know we got to get to a break, but I, it reads like a soap opera. Um, and, and at least some instances, there were formidable obstacles to filing an appeal. For instance, the website for filing an appeal was riddled with technical issues. And property owners would wait for hours in the telephone queue without getting an answer or would be disconnected when they reached the front of the queue. Again, that could have been a technical problem. Right. But they're making it seem like this was an, a manipulated effort. To what end, I don't know. Yeah, to just and whether it was, again, just to obfuscate so that they would be able to, to cover up their own incompetence. That's... That's the most benign answer, and and really, it's not benign at all, but it's the most benign possible answer to this is just somebody at some point realized how badly they bungled this and said, uh-oh, <laughs> we've got to cover this thing up. And, of course, the cover-up is always worse than the crime. So, uh, yeah, I, oh, what can you do other than sympathize with people who are just sitting there watching this money fly out the window and hoping that they're going to be able to get it back? A couple of quick things. We mentioned these earlier, but they're coming in again on the text line. Yes, the money is due by December the 31st. But there is an, uh, I'll point to this article again. It's on KNBC's website where they talk to an attorney who said, if you feel like you've been overcharged, figure out by how much. And then put that money, you've got to pay all of it now or by, by December 31st. But mark, there's a, there's a form you have to fill out that marks a certain portion of that as being paid under protest. That forces the county to put that money in its own separate bucket so that it would make it easier for you to get it back. If indeed they find out through the appeals process or through this lawsuit or whatever that you were overcharged. 
they you know they, the money doesn't just go into the general revenue fund. They have to hold it aside until that protest is settled. I feel like we have to get to a break. If nine one three five eight six seven seven nine eight, if you have access to the the lawsuit is up online. Section seventy one is where I can't get my jaw off the desk because of everything they're going through with the appeals process. We'll take a break. We'll get to your calls next on KMBZ. All right, we're talking about the lawsuit filed by the Missouri Attorney General along with the State Tax Commission against the Jackson County Legislature, Frank White, the County Assessor, uh, Tyler Technologies, for a slew of crimes, because that's, I mean, this is these are alleged crimes committed during that assessment process. I think we need to point out, um, Frank White is elected. That is an elected position. Current term ends in 2027. Yeah. If you want him out, that is not simple. No, that, that would involve a recall. Um, I, potentially. I mean, there there are other things that could happen mm-hmm. maybe as a result of this, maybe as a result of this lawsuit. But, yeah, you know, you pointed up Section 71 of this lawsuit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, just w- when you hear the words... Generally, the optional review starts with the assumption that the assessor's valuation is correct and without the assessor ever having to prove the assessed value is legitimate. What they're making the case, this is that coercion part of it that they mentioned right at the beginning of the lawsuit, that by effectively twisting you up in knots and running under the assumption that the assessment was correct, they're they're coercing you to drop it and just go back and pay the money so that you can have done with it. And it gets even worse. I mean, there's A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Yeah, uh, eight different, sorry, seven different segments to their layout of finding a fact in that matter. I don't know what the worst part of this is, but it does feel to me the um, coercing property owners to drop their appeals part is is among the worst. That's going to be a huge piece of this. Let's go to Mark and Independence real quick to wind this up. Hey, Mark. Hey, how you doing? Couldn't be better, Mark. What's on your mind? Uh, this is just a comment. You guys just took the wind out of my sails. Sorry about Sorry that. About that. Say, we do that sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, um, based upon the report from the, the preliminary report from the, what was the to? auditor, uh-huh. um, it's apparent to me that, like what you just said, somebody needs to um, write up a recall uh petition and for the um recall of frank white because he he seems to hold a lot of power he had some things he could have done about this and didn't do so he's kind of being reckless in his duties and i say like you said the only way to get him out of office is for a recall petition so somebody needs to write it up we find out where the locations are and start signing it. You know, things could get really exciting between now and the end of the year, Mark. We'll keep on it. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Thanks so much for the telephone call. And I'm, I'm going to read through this a little bit tonight. I mean, it's extensive. Mm-hmm. Like you said, there's 40, 40 some odd pages. pages. Yeah. So read through this a little bit more and see what it is that they're laying directly at Frank White's feet. Yeah. Um, and it will just be interesting. Is the assessor position elected? Do we know? I didn't look it up in the last. That's a great months. question. I don't know either. I don't either. But if it's if if it's not, she's the first to go because mm-hmm. you can just fire her. That's simple. He's more complicated. Again, you need a judge in Jackson County to call 
bump this one to the front of the line. Yeah. Um, we will have that petition for his his resignation tomorrow. This this is the uh, yeah. The, the, <laughs> I said it before. I will say it again. This is going to get extremely ugly. I have no doubt Dana and Parks will probably pick this one up at some point. So we'll turn this over to them and talk to you Wednesday here on KMBZ. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale with Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and the restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. We all agree that reducing carbon emissions is a good thing. And once again, Toyota is leading the way. We hear a lot about fully electric vehicles, and Toyota has them, with more coming in. But we also know a BEV is not for everyone, whether it's because of cost, range, or concern about finding a charging station when you need it. Plus, the raw materials used to manufacture batteries are limited. Enter Beyond Zero, Toyota's vision for a carbon-neutral future in vehicles, and in manufacturing plants, too, in the years ahead. The materials used to make just one long-range battery for an EV could be used to make batteries for six plug-in hybrids or 90 gas-electric hybrids. That's why Toyota's position today is electrified, diversified, empowering you to choose how to reduce your own carbon footprint with the vehicle that's right for you, a hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or battery EV. So shop, learn more, and get details at toyota.com slash beyond zero. Toyota, let's go places.